Hi guys, I'm Mike. I work for TenGen. TenGen is a startup in New York, um, and we sponsor development of MongoDB. So MongoDB is an open source, high performance, schema-free, document-oriented database. So there's a lot of buzzwords there, and hopefully um, some of you guys might be familiar with MongoDB already, and hopefully if you aren't, um, by the end of the presentation you'll have an idea about what all those mean and why they combine to make something that you should be interested in, in checking out. Um, so a little bit of my background is that I do a lot of the work on, on Python support for Mongo, so uh, the Python driver and community and that sort of stuff. So we're, we're here to talk about MongoDB, we're, we're also here to talk about Django. So Django is the web framework for protectionist with deadlines. Uh, that's from DjangoProject.org. Um, and so the question is, can we get MongoDB and Django to heart each other? Um, and so throughout the presentation, the presentation is going to be, we're going to start with doing a quick intro to Mongo. Um, and I won't have time to sort of get into the nitty gritty stuff that I'd like to. So if you guys have questions, feel free to, you know, call them out throughout. Um, and then we'll move on to talking about the more important question, which is the hardening of MongoDB and Django. Um, so a little background about Mongo. So something we've seen at TenGen is that the one-size-fits-all approach to databases is no longer really applying. Um, so for a long time, it's sort of been pretty standard to just take your data and find some way to make it fit into a relational database, uh, MySQL or Oracle or SQL Server or whatever, and shove it in there. And um, what we've seen is that things are sort of, sort of starting to fragment a little bit. There's more products out there uh, with different feature sets that apply to different types of problems. Um, so one way you can break these things down which I have done here is into these three groups. So the first is the RDBMS, that's uh, pretty traditional. I think everybody's probably familiar with and has worked with an RDBMS before. Um, and there's this set of databases that we're referring to as next-gen OLAP databases. And these are used often for things like business intelligence. This is things like Vertica. Um, and then there's a separate category, which we're gonna be talking about tonight, which are non-relational operational data stores. Uh, and for better or worse, they've had this term NoSQL applied to them. Um, and I, one problem that we have with the name is that there's not really, it, it sort of implies contention between these NoSQL things and relational databases. And I think there's, you know, these, they solve different sets of problems and there's lots of places where you could use them together. Um, and there's, there's no reason that SQL is great, it's a great query language. Uh, there's just some, some things that we'd like to get that we don't have with relational databases. So, NoSQL really means non-relational, next-generation, operational data stores and databases. Um, so these are products that were developed for the web and solve some of the problems that, that a relational database doesn't solve well for the web. So one of those problems is scaling out. Um, and with relational database, it's pretty easy to scale up. So you can add more power at a single node. So uh, a good example of this is when Amazon introduced the uh, relational database services to AWS the other, a couple months ago. Um, they also had to add new instances, larger instances, to support larger relational databases. Um, so the problem of scaling out horizontally is really difficult with a relational database, and there are two main reasons why. The first is distributed joins, so it's really hard to do a join across nodes in a performant way, and also complex transactions. So it's hard to do complex transactions across nodes. Um, so what we're seeing with a lot of these NoSQL systems is that you're sort of giving up on these two properties. And that's what's allowing you to have a horizontally scalable architecture. 
But there's an important side effect of that, which is that once we've given up on the relational data model, we are presented with this opportunity to choose a new data model. Um, and one thing we've seen with some of these systems is that in addition to offering scalability, they're also offering flexibility and new models for programmers, which a lot of people like independently of the fact that it's scaled. So some of the data models that have become popular with these systems are key value. So key value is pretty easy to implement. Uh, there's systems out there like Memcached, which probably everybody's used and maybe not thought of it as a key value store when they used it. Uh, Dynamo, this is Amazon's internal system. They published a paper about how it works and that sort of kicked off a lot of this whole uh, interest in this space. Uh, Voldemort, um, Redis, there's a, there's a whole host of these things. And, and part of the reason that there is a bunch of them is because they're pretty easy to implement. Um, there's a, the next data model that's become popular is this, tab, this thing we're calling tabular. Um, and this is things like Google's Bigtable, Apache Cassandra, HBase, Hypertable. Uh, HBase and Hypertable are both pretty much big, open source Bigtable clones. Um, and this data model is, it's almost like a, a layer on top of the key value model. So again, you're pretty much doing things on a single key, but you're adding a little bit more structure to each of the values, um, which lets you do some nicer things than you can do with just the key value model. Uh, and then the model that we're gonna talk about more tonight is document-oriented. So this is things like CouchDB and MongoDB. Um, and document-oriented allows sort of more complex data types. So your rows are documents. And a document can contain embedded documents, li lists of documents, and all sorts of other complex types. And you can perform operations that reach inside of these embedded documents. Um, and there's a, there's a lot of niceties that come from that. And we'll show an example later on where that offers some power to do some, do some things that you can't do in a relational database. So I'd like to show this chart, which uh, for those of you who can't see on the x-axis, we have depth of functionality, and on the y-axis, we have scalability and performance. And this is sort of showing where we think uh, MongoDB fits into the space. And, and a lot of this comes out of this document model that we're using. Um, so you have things like the relational databases, which are all the way over to the right. And those have all the functionality but the kitchen sink. You know, they have uh, joins, they have complex transactions. Um, then you have, but they don't scale that well. Then you have all the way over to the left and, and you know, high up there on the y-axis, you have things like memcache and key value stores. And those are highly scalable, they're very performant, uh, but they're pretty limited in what they can do. So it's, it's pretty much put and get on a single key for the most part. Some of them offers some more complex functionality. And with MongoDB, what we're trying to do is really sort of get that same performance that you get with the key value store and then just sort of push to the right as far as we can in terms of uh, depth of functionality. So with MongoDB, you should be able to do a lot of the operations that you're familiar with from a relational database, like secondary indexes and range queries and, and all sorts of fun stuff like that. So we'll do a quick uh, MongoDB in two minutes. So this is going to uh, hopefully summarize some of the main features of Mongo. And if you haven't heard of it before, hopefully this will whet your appetite and you can ask more questions after the presentation. Um, and in Python, uh, we represent a document. So in MongoDB, a document is sort of the equivalent of a row. So it's the unit of storage. And in Python, we represent that as a dictionary. So you can see these are both examples of valid MongoDB documents. So the first one's pretty simple, key value pair. The second one, you know, again, we have a key and value, and then we have a second key, and that's pointing to an array of dictionaries. So this shows you 
some of the abilities to sort of embed documents and uh, do things that are a little bit more complex than just what you're allowed to do with a row in a relational database. Um, and the next note is that these documents get inserted into collections. So a collection can be thought of as sort of the equivalent of a table in MongoDB. Um, but an important note about collections is that they're schema-free. So both of these documents could be inserted into the same collection, even though they're different shapes. Um, so here we have this extra foo key, which isn't present in the first one, but we don't have to like define columns in advance or even create a database in advance. We can basically just say, on the fly, create this database and put documents of any shape that we want into any collection. Queries are dynamic in MongoDB. So I put this on here. This is probably familiar to most of you who have worked with a relational database. You're used to dynamic queries. Um, but in some of the related systems, they use static queries. So like CouchDB, for example, uses this static MapReduce view building mechanism, which basically is a way to do custom index building. Um, and with MongoDB, you do more traditional sort of dynamic queries. We have our own query language, um, which is represented as documents. So a lot of, a lot of the concepts in MongoDB are sort of come back to these documents. Um, but you basically build up a document to represent your query, and that's how, um, that's how you interact with the database. Uh, MongoDB has a major focus on performance, so there's been a lot of decisions that have been made for performance reasons. So single node performance tends to, be, tends to be really, really good. And this opens up some interesting possibilities. So uh, you can start to think about using MongoDB for a problem where you might normally consider a database like too heavyweight. So, um, things like real-time logging, real-time analytics, uh, all sorts of things like that where it's useful to have it in the database, but normally you just wouldn't be able to. Um, there's built-in repl replication and auto-sharding, so we use replication for failover, um, and auto-sharding is sort of what allows for this infinite scalability across nodes. So as you insert new nodes, things will tra transparently migrate across them. Um, and lastly, there's no complex transactions. So this is an important note about MongoDB is that Basically, single documents, there's atomicity on operations on a single document, but you can't do sort of complex multi-document transactions with rollbacks or anything like that. Um, so hopefully, by looking at this, uh, or seeing, seeing these sets of features, you're starting to, starting to think and realize how MongoDB can be useful for web development. So the question that hopefully is popping up into your mind now is, MongoDB sounds cool, I like Django, how can I make them hard each other? And can we do that? And I think the answer is yes, but also sometimes no. Um, so, so using MongoDB with Django is pretty similar to using Django with Google App Engine. So again, App Engine is Bigtable based. Um, I mentioned Bigtable earlier on, on one of the earlier slides. And so it's a non-relational database and doesn't have SQL queries. Um, sort of has a SQL-like language that you can use, um, but it's not supported by Django.db. So pretty much if you, if you go and look at the Google thing or if any of you have played with App Engine, you can expect it to be a similar experience. So the good thing is that a lot of Django doesn't depend on Django.db. So we can still use things like URL dispatch, templates, internationalization, caching, and, and pretty much everything in Django that doesn't depend on Django.db. Uh, unfortunately, some things do. So things like models, auth, admin, sessions, uh, all require Django.db. So it's pretty tricky to get those to work with MongoDB. So for the rest of the presentation, what I'm gonna do is sort of try to tackle each of these one by one and talk about how you can do them with Mongo. Um, 
and for some of them it's, it's still you know pretty hard and where we can go in the future in order to get Django and Mongo to heart each other even more than they do now. Um, so, so the first thing, when you're, when you're setting up a Django app with MongoDB, the first thing you're going to do is you need to set up settings.py properly. So we don't get to use all the database settings, so we just leave those to the empty string um, because Django.db won't work with Mongo. And then we have to disable sessions and auth. So we take both of those out. So then the question is, you know, what can we do? And so I decided to take a look at the tutorial. So I'm sure that everybody in this room has gone through the Django tutorial at, at some point, probably multiple times for some people. Um, and so you remember, it's, it's like this, we have this poll and these, these choices. So we have two models. We have a poll model and choices model. And in that tutorial, we, you know, each of those models will get represented as a table stored in its own table, a poll table and a choices table. And we'll do joins. Django.db will handle doing the joins for you. So with MongoDB, one of the cool things is that you can have embedded documents. So to represent a relationship like that, it might make a lot of sense to represent it as an embedded document because we're pretty much always going to be getting a poll and all of its choices, right? So rather than having to do that join, we can just take this dictionary. This is going to be the document representation of our, of our poll. Um, and so we have the question, which is just a string. We have the publication date, which is a date-time instance, and the Python driver will automatically handle converting that to the appropriate MongoDB representation. Um, and then we have this array of choices, and so each one of those is an embedded document with a number of votes and what the text of the choice is. So if you check out the tutorial, this is pretty much the exact same data model. We're just taking those choices and embedding them directly within the poll. And doing things like this, the ability to do things like this, is one place where you can see incredible performance gains with, Mo performance gains with MongoDB, uh, because you're totally avoiding the need to do a join. You're basically getting this poll back and getting all the choices at the same time. And one cool thing about Mongo is that we have a bunch of update modifiers. So you can do things like increment one of these votes uh, atomically and it's a small, lightweight operation. And, and I'll show you examples of how that would work in a bit. So given this representation, how would we get this to work with Django? So the first question is, how do we, how do we have models that, that work with this? And I'm gonna talk about a couple different options. So the first option is to not really use models at all. So we take our models up high, and we replace it with some helper functions, basically. And these are going to work with PyMongo and basically perform the operations that we might need from our database. Um, so you can see here, so the first method I have is save poll. So given a question, go ahead and create a new poll and insert it. Um, and here, this is, this is all PyMongo, which is the Python driver for MongoDB. All this syntax is PyMongo stuff. So we're going to take our database, get the poll selection, and then insert that document into it. Just the question and the publication date. Then we have an all polls method, and this is going to get a cursor to iterate over all the polls that we've inserted. Uh, hopefully you guys can see this in the back. Sorry if you're, if you're having trouble. Um, and this is just going to return find is, this, is the way to do a basic query in Mongo. So this is just going to return a query that iterates over all the, all the polls we've inserted. We have add choice. So this is where we're getting into these cool update modifiers that I, I mentioned earlier. So here we're going to go ahead and get the poll 
this first, this first dictionary here, underscore ID is poll underscore ID. This is what's saying, this is the poll I want to update. Go get the poll where underscore ID is whatever the ID I'm giving you is. Then the second dictionary is saying, here's the update I want you to do. So I want you to push, we have this special dollar sign push operator, which is basically going to do an atomic append onto an array. I want you to push onto the choices array this new choice. So we start with zero vo votes and we, we have choice set to whatever string we pass in. And then finally, and I'm sure the people in the back can't see this, um, we have this add vote method. And this just takes, it's very similar to the last one, it just takes the poll ID and a choice. And again, we're going to do an atomic update. And here we're going to go and find whichever individual choice in our array, given this choice index. So that'll be, you know, zero through whatever. And we're going to increment, add one to uh, whatever its value is. And that's all going to be atomic. And there's no response from the server. So this is going to be very, very fast. Um, so this is the first way you could do models. So you could do this, and then in your views, you could go ahead and call these methods. And for some people, that, that might be enough. And you still get, you know, most of the Django stuff, and you miss out on validations and stuff like that. So the next option is to use one of these object mappers that have been built on top of the Python driver. So the first one I'll talk about is MongoKit. There's a couple of these projects. Um, and so MongoKit is an open source project on top of PyMongo, and it basically gives you the ability to define your own models and have things like validations, have things like instance methods like save and update and remove and that sort of stuff. Um, so again, it's not totally API compatible with Django.db, but it still you know, gives you a lot of the niceties that you, you're used to. So this is just this is the way MongoKit works. You just define this structured dictionary, which is basically saying question is going to be a string, publication date is going to be a date time. You have required fields, and that's all for validation, and you have default values. So here we're saying if we don't give a publication date, just use UTC now. That's actually a typo, so that shouldn't be a call to UTC now. We should just be passing the function. Oops. Um, so, so that's how that would work. And so you could use that, and then you get a lot of the niceties that you're used to with Django.db. It's not, like I said, it's not exactly the same, but, but it's a start. There's another uh, similar project. This one is called Ming. It was actually built by the SourceForge people. So when they ported all of SourceForge over to MongoDB, they built this layer, which they're using in, you know, to power SourceForge.net. And so here's the exact same model, just represented in Ming. So it, it's pretty much pretty similar. We just define attributes instead of the structured dictionary that we saw earlier. And we use this field class, which allows us to do things like say this field is required or this field has a default value if it's missing. Um, so that's pretty nice too. So that's pretty much the state of models with MongoDB and Django. So what about other things like, like sessions and auth and that sort of stuff? Well, this project came out pretty recently called Mango and it's actually an implementation of a session backend and an authentication backend for Django on top of PyMongo. So, that's supposed to be a mango up there. Um, so, this basically gives you full session support, and Mango actually provides a user class. Since the Django default user class is working with Django.db, Mango provides a user class, but it provides most of the same functions on that class that you're used to working with um, with Django.db. So you can do is authenticated, set password, all that sort of stuff. Um, so this is really nice. 
the, there's a link way down bottom, but these slides will be up so you guys can, you guys can find this stuff. So to use it, you pretty much just install it and, and set some stuff in settings.py. So you'll just set your engine for sessions, set the backend for authentication, and then some options specifying how to get to your MongoDB instance. So this is, this is a really great project, and uh, I think this is gonna be uh, you know, good going forward to, to get this integration nice. So the last note that I had to start out with was admin. So what about admin? Uh, the answer is that there's no great solution to, to have admin working with MongoDB yet. Um, one option would be to make a whole new admin app, uh, an open source app that people could install that would, you know, similar to, similarly to how Mango replaces uh, sessions and off, we could replace admin uh, with a MongoDB admin type thing. Um, that would work. It'd be, I think it'd be a big project to get something that is even close to as nice as Django Admin is. Um, another option would be to support MongoDB and Django.db. So moving forward, I think that in the long run, uh, I expect that we'll see this. Um, maybe Jacob could, could tell, talk more about that, but I expect that we'll see this in the long term. Um, so there's a, couple, there's a couple things that have been started in this direction. So this first one is it seems like it's sort of a dead project at this point. Somebody started this over the summer, and it's basically a Django.db backend for MongoDB uh, written to the current Django.db 1.1 uh, implementation. And I think this is, this is a hard direction to go in, because I think there's still a lot of uh, tension between the way Django.db works and the way you want to work with MongoDB. Um, but there's this, which might be a nice start if some of you want to take a look at this. Then down here we have this Django non-relational, the second link here, this Django non-relational project, uh, which has been getting some traffic recently, and this actually fell out of a project that was working on supporting App Engine on Django. Um, and basically the goal is to make it, you know, a new branch of Django that makes it easier to write these backends for non-relational databases and support all of the things that are nice about them. Um, and here on, on DjangoProject.com, uh, there's also some discussion about this, and mainly it links back to this project, but some discussion about the issues that there are and, and what we have to do going forward to get, to get this right. So I think this is what we're gonna see in the long term. Uh, there's still a, a lot of work. Uh, certainly 1.2, we're, we're moving in the right direction, so there's like multi-DB in 1.2, which is really nice, and, uh, and hopefully we'll continue to see sort of work coming at it from both ends, and, and, and we'll get there eventually. So, what I would like from you guys is to all go out and download MongoDB. So it's like a two minute download. It's all binaries for all different platforms. It's really easy. Download it and try it out if you haven't already. Uh, there's tutorials online. You can just play with it from the shell or use PyMongo, which I talked about. Um, but it's really easy to play with and I would challenge you to not have fun doing so. So, uh, so go ahead and give it a shot and you know, talk to us if you have any problems or if you need any help to do, to do it. And then sort of number three here in parentheses is it would be really awesome if you could, you know, help us to make things work even better with Django. So, I think to answer our overarching question, I think that MongoDB does hard Django. Like, there are people using them together and I think it works great. Uh, but there's, there's still a lot of work that can be done to make it work better. So, I'm hoping that, you know, some of all you might want to get involved with that as well. Um, some links and stuff. MongoDB.org, that's the main project homepage. Uh, IRC, so we're always on IRC, Freenode, um, Sharp MongoDB if you guys want to want to chat. Uh, we have a Google group, that's where most of the user interaction goes on. Uh, 
uh, Twitter is at MongoDB. The second one is my personal Twitter. If you want to talk to me directly, this is my personal email. If you want to get at me directly, um, this presentation is already up on slideshare.net slash mbro. And finally, this last link is actually a project that I have, which is basically like a quick little example showing how you could integrate uh, MongoDB and Django. So showing some of the things that we, we just talked about, basically. Um, and it, it could use some work making it more clear, I'm sure. So even that would be a great way to contribute is if you guys go check this out and say, hey, you know, you could do this instead and it would be easy to understand. You know, that would be helpful. So you can fork it on GitHub and, and do so. Uh, we have like five minutes left, so if you guys have questions, I would be happy to answer them. Anybody who has questions, ask them to do it. Mike's here. Yeah, so the best, the best way to find that out is to go to mongodb.org and search for production deployments. And the first link that comes up is a list of everything we know of. Uh, the short answer is SourceForge is, is one of the big ones. Uh, GitHub, New York Times, uh, Discuss, the blog commenting system. There's a whole bunch of them on there, and, and they're using it in different ways. So the, the most up-to-date information we have is on the site. I guess the comment I would make is that you know, it's not so much as a program, but more from the standpoint of looking at a comprehensive environment and certainly the optimization and the way it's used in web. So I was looking at uh, some basic information about the web and the speed, and it seemed like it managed to have this really insane open. And that left obviously a lot of application in it. And I was looking at something that was called Gremlin. Yeah, so I uh, I haven't done too much to look at Gremlin yet, but I know that they do have a MongoDB backend already. Uh, I'm not sure how far along it is, but yeah, Gremlin is like a graph programming language, and there's a backend to store the data representing a graph in MongoDB. Uh, but I, th I think to get back to your main point, MongoDB is really useful for things like semantic web, where you don't really know exactly what your data is going to look like. You know, you're, you're collecting it from different sources, and uh, and so, you know, if you're working with a relational database and you have a table that has a column key and a column value, then it's a good idea to maybe consider using a schemaless database or, or, or taking a look at something like this. Yeah. So the, so the comment was that um, that it, it's probably going to be a good idea to be looking at using multiple different databases with your Django application. Um, there's some stuff you want to model as relational and some stuff that's more unstructured that you want to use MongoDB. I think that's great, and, and so that's why something like MultiDB is going to be useful. Um, but I, I also think that uh, if, you, if you check out MongoDB and start to play with it, you might find that You'll start using it for, for the you'll start using it for the data that you need to, and then you'll like it, and you'll keep using it for the stuff that you could have put in the relational database anyway. Uh, so I, I think it can be used as a general purpose web backend store. Another question from the chat is: Are the advantages of 
Are the advantages of Django and MongoDB purely performance related? Uh, no, certainly not. So I think that performance is one nice benefit of MongoDB, um, but I think that there's a lot of gains in terms of flexibility as well. So if you look at all these models that I showed here, if we wanted to do migration, for example, where we added some new field, um, given our given our poll, we wanted to add like an end time or or a winner choice or, or something like that. With MongoDB, you could go back and add that and not have to do any migration at all. Um, so th there certainly are going to be times where you need to do a migration if you sort of need to transform how your data looks. But this schema list thing can really add a lot in terms of flexibility. And, and it's a great fit for dynamic programming languages like Python, and it's a great fit for things like agile development where you're really trying to move fast and iterate quickly. Okay, so I think one of the one of the big sort of pain points in terms of just getting your head around it is in terms of this embedding thing that I talked about. So I showed you the example of polls with embedded choices, and this adds a lot of power when when you can use it. But there are sometimes, uh, let's say we had polls that had authors, and and authors have some information about them, and an author can have many polls, and a poll could have multiple authors even. Uh, where it makes sense, we, we're going to need two different models, we're going to need two different collections, and we're going to need to do basically a client-side join. So there are some times where you need to do some referencing versus embedding. And I think getting your head around, because you, you never have the option to embed in a relational database, so sort of getting your head around when it makes sense to embed and when you can sort of get away with embedding versus when you need to reference, I think that's a, something that sort of is a, a little bit of a pain point for new users. So uh, I remember in one of the earlier examples you had, I think it was by Mongo, uh, your, your Google Kaiju coding uh, has raw input experience, and obviously in SQL, that's a huge, crazy, scary problem. Is there any kind of equivalent of a SQL regression impact possible with MongoDB or something by Mongo? Right, so one, one thing that's nice about the way uh, that the, all of these MongoDB drivers work is that since our query language is these documents, uh, it's it's no longer, in, in general, it's no longer possible to do a, an attack, like a SQL injection attack. So I could have just taken user input as that string and, and saved it, and people could have written whatever string they wanted, and since it's not getting evaluated anywhere, uh, it's just data, right? So um, there is, however, like one case where you could have to worry about that, and that is we have this support for this thing called a where clause, which lets you basically run an arbitrary JavaScript query on the server, so if you were taking user input and sort of stuffing it into a where clause directly, um, it's possible that you could run into some issues there. Where clauses are read-only, so there's limited amount of things, that equal things that people could do, um, but you do have to be a bit careful with that. Another question from Jack was, uh, what's the deciding factor between the site, uh, for new project deciding between MongoDB Yes, I mean, that's a hard question to answer. So I, I think um, the point has been brought up that there are some times when it, it just makes sense to use something like MongoDB where it's schema-free because you've got you know, data coming from different sources that looks different and uh, the schema-free thing really fits. But there, you know, I would encourage people who are dealing with that or grappling with that to go ahead and download it and give it a shot. Um, and I think you'll find that even if that's not um, 
absolutely an essential requirement, you might want to look at playing with it anyway or using it anyway. Uh, so we're, we're over 30 minutes. I don't know. Uh, we have probably time for one more question. Okay, one more question. Um, okay. I was playing on the Wii a little bit on Mario, and ran into some difficulties with jumping jacks. Can you just explain in general how they work and what they're for and how you use them? Okay, so VB refs are the specification we have for doing referencing. So, like I said, sometimes you'll need to do Sometimes you'll be able to embed documents, and sometimes you'll need to do a reference to a document that lives in another collection. Um, and so dbrefs are basically a spec that you can, all it, all it really is is storing a reference to the collection name where the, the target document is stored, and that document's ID. So IDs are unique across the collection. So given those two pieces of information, you can basically follow that reference, you know, that's all you need to follow. Um, DBRefs don't give you much beyond that in terms of like the server. The server doesn't actually understand them or, or traverse things automatically for you or do the join. So the join has to happen client side. So um, I think we need to do some work on improving those docs actually. But um, but yeah. So that's the that's the idea. Is that a DBRef is basically just a nicety for you to sort of keep track of a reference. You could more or less do the same thing if you know what collection it's in. So say you're storing a, refer a reference to authors, you know it's going to be in your author's collection. You could just store the ID and, and you'd have pretty much the same thing. It's possible that at some point the server will support some more smart things uh, that it can do with a DBref, like traversal or, or that sort of thing. Uh, but as of now, it, it doesn't do anything like that. Thanks, guys.